Welcome to Grown Up. I'm Avery Moorcloth. Today, we are exploring a job that honestly would be my personal nightmare. But for my guest, it's her total dream job. There's blood, there's broken bones, there's fast driving and life or death situations every single day. And paramedic Sarah Graham loves every second of it. A couple lessons to watch out for in this episode. One, why you should never call a career misstep a mistake. And two, never ever underestimate a 5'2", 125-pound female paramedic. Let's get to it. Just some housekeeping to start off. I love that you love listening to this show, but what if you could be part of making this podcast happen? And no, you can unfurrow your brow. This is not when I ask you for money. I'm actually asking for questions. I'm going to start taking question submissions from you guys. As I book more interviews with regular people doing interesting work, I'll be posting on Twitter and Instagram to collect your burning questions. To submit questions, just simply follow at grownuppod or at Avery Class, or just follow both on Instagram and Twitter, and I'll be posting job titles of upcoming guests. I want to know what you want to know from our upcoming grown-ups. So, back to our paramedic. It's not every day that you meet someone like Sarah Graham. She is endlessly positive, but speaks with a depth that demands attention. She is eloquent and gentle, but she's also tough as nails. Sarah is a firecracker, but with soul, you know? That's why it doesn't surprise me at all that in her late 20s, she quit a good job, also a job that she had to pep talk herself into showing up to, sold her house and went back to school to fulfill a lifelong dream of becoming a paramedic. As a teen, Sarah was steered away from the profession by naysayers who were afraid it wasn't the right fit for a petite track runner. But by 30 years old, she finally transitioned to the career that she just couldn't leave behind. Sarah's career path was a windy road that led her right back to a life as a first responder. I know Sarah. We live in the same town. We know some of the same people. But I didn't actually know what she did for a living until one day when I showed up to a CPR class. It was hosted in a meeting room at a local church, and it was taught by Sarah, a CPR trainer and a paramedic. A paramedic who, in her, quote, spare time on weekends, teaches others to help save lives, too. Sitting there with my palms on the sternum of a foam, legless torso, I was blown away by how passionate she is about the work that she does. She was an obvious guest for Grown Up from the get-go. So, if you've ever pulled over for an ambulance and you've wondered who the heroes behind the wheel are, let me introduce you to one of them. My name is Sarah Graham, and I am a paramedic. My very first memory of what I wanted to be as a child is actually a marine biologist. Uh, You know, as a child, I don't even think I knew what that meant. I think it sounded neat, and I I liked whales. Uh, And now, today, I am a paramedic, and uh, I get to go to work. I work a 12-hour shift. The best part about it is I have no idea every day what I'm going to do. When I drive to work in the morning, I do not have a clue 
of what my day is going to entail. And when the chimes go and I go out and I can go to any sort of incident, be it a trauma or a medical call, um, I help the people through their trauma or medical and I give them off to the hospital and I go on to the next one. Does it scare me? Yes. Am I afraid of it? No. I think that's a big difference. It is exactly where I'm meant to be. I love everything about my job. I love the idea that in someone's worst day, I am what they need. And I come with the skills and the passion to get through the call. I do not meet people if they're having a good day. I only meet people on their worst day. And I take that very seriously. And now, a 30-second history of the job. Somebody time me. Actually, don't. The ambulance grew out of the need to transport wounded soldiers from the battlefield to hospitals to receive care. As early as 382 BC, wounded soldiers were no longer left on the battlefield for days to die of their injuries, or, for that matter, of thirst. They were transported to care by foot, wagon, or horseback. From a Byzantine emperor who outfitted horseback rescue squads with special saddles to collect his army's wounded, to crusaders in the 11th century who used wagons to carry the injured to baggage trains on the way to Jerusalem. Early versions of the ambulance were simply a mode of transportation. It's not until the mid-18th century that European armies begin sending physicians and surgeons out with ambulances to treat casualties under fire before transporting them to temporary hospital tents. Under Napoleon, they were called ambulance volants. By the early 1900s, the use of ambulances were widespread in North America as simply fast rides to the hospital with some but little complex care offered on board. In both the Korean and Vietnam Wars, field medics were relied upon to reduce mortality rates among soldiers. The 1960s saw the wide use of CPR and artificial respiration, and actually the 911 system was developed for quick access to medical care. The 1970s brought new laws that gave paramedics the ability to offer more care and the invention of a lightweight monitor defibrillator. I use lightweight well, lightly because at the time lightweight was around 18 pounds or so. The early 70s also brings paramedicine to TV sets with the release of a popular show called Emergency. I say it that way because there is an exclamation point at the end of the word emergency. It portrayed paramedics providing advanced care never before seen in the homes of American TV watchers. Then the late 70s and 80s bring us advancements in training that shape today's modern-day paramedics. So, to one of those highly trained modern-day paramedics, please enjoy my conversation with paramedic and CPR trainer Sarah Graham. Sarah, thank you for being here and for doing this because you completely fascinate me okay. and I have so many questions and I'm just glad that you said yes. I am so honored and so excited that you asked me to do this to begin with. So let's get started. This is fun. <gasps> Yay. Okay. I think that I need to start with almost a disclaimer because if people who are listening who don't know you or have never met you... I just don't want them to feel like this eternal positivity you have is something you're putting on for the microphone because it's not. Okay. You're a very, very positive person with a job that is not always going to be a positive place to exist in. How do you stay so positive? Terrific question. 
uh, because that's a question that I own every day. I wake up and and, uh, make that decision every day because you're right. It's not always a positive environment, but when you are where you're meant to be, you can find the positivity through it. And I feel that every day at my job. Um, you know, each day I am faced with different challenges that could could absolutely take that positivity away from me. Uh, so it's a, it's a challenge I accept uh, with passion to ensure that I don't allow that. And I know that this job is is meant for me, and I'm meant for the job. And with that, uh, I take the challenges that I face, and uh, and I love it. And it's true. I I this is who I am. Um, which is why I know I'm where I'm supposed to be. Um, I remember my mom asking me if I'm sure I could do this. And I said, Mom, I know I can, so I must. That's a really nice answer. Because I think it's one of those jobs where I think a lot of people would look at paramedic and say, oh man, I could never do that. Do you, is it something you have to be called to? Like, do you think it, do you think thinking about the people you work with, is it something that you are kind of just born with the, with the gumption to do, I guess? I feel that way. Uh, and just on a side note, I do hear that expression every day when I when I meet people and I tell them what I do. Usually, the first thing out of their mouth is, "Oh my goodness, I could never do that." And then the next expression is normally, "Thank you for your service." So I think both of those sentences are quite interesting when they're back to back. That uh, someone is saying, "Oh my gosh, how how can you face those challenges?" But then at the same time, "Thank you because we need someone that can." Uh, so was I, was I, you know, led to this job? Absolutely. My, my path was a windy one. Uh, it wasn't a straight path, but I knew that this is where I was meant to end up. Uh, and for the longevity of the job, I think that's an important point. You, you can do the job. And I see that with some other coworkers, um, that you can do the job, but the longevity of the job and the passion that is required to stay positive in the job, I think is something that you have or you don't. And, and that's a really important, uh, you know, thing to, to look at when thinking of any career, really. Okay, let's, let's talk about the windy path. Sure. So let's say the windy path starts at marine biologist. Sure. Um, what was what as a kid was attractive to you about about that job specifically? So, you know, honestly, as a child, I had an older cousin. And I think the words marine biologist, I thought would somehow make him proud that I said those large words, right? Like you have cousins you look up to. Uh, And I remember him kind of looking at me strange and saying, do you even know what that means? And I kind of laughed and I said, no, but I really like whales. And I just have that fleeting moment in my life as something that kind of defined that stage. Uh, Obviously, I'm not a marine biologist. And truthfully, I don't even know what it would take to become one. <laughs> but when it came time to actually choose a career, I really was going in the way of something healthcare related. And paramedicine just seemed to fit. I liked all the different ideas of it. It's, it's like an onion, right? It's very layered with all the different requirements. However, at that time, I was really steered in a different direction. So I didn't become a paramedic this is high school or what age are you when paramedic high school high school yeah okay. absolutely all through high school um i liked the idea um you know i i took the the uh, first aid course probably grade nine and just got hooked i instantly loved that idea uh but again you're, you're trying to sort out as a as a 
young adult, right, a teenager, you're trying yeah. to sort out even your own identity and, and where that's all placed. So at that time, I, I didn't go into paramedic college. Um, I went on to a different career and it just never seemed to fit. Hmm. And I think that's a really important point because could I have been happy in that career? Yes. Was it a great career? Absolutely. But it wasn't great for me. And I had a moment uh, with a coworker where I turned to her and I said to her, are you happy? And she looked at me very strange and she said, of course I am. I said, okay, are you happy with this job? And she said, yes, this is, this is the best job. So right away I knew and I said to myself, okay, it's not the job, it's me in the job. Mm. And, uh, and so what job is this? So you, what did you, what did you end up taking when you left uh, school? So I went to York university and I took kinesiology and health studies. Okay. Uh, and I don't regret a single moment. It was, it was a terrific school. I was a track athlete. So I competed all through uh, university, which truthfully, uh, was the most important and, and, uh, best part I can think of going back to those years. Uh, so on paper, the job was wonderful. Right? I was working in a rehab clinic. I was dealing with people that had been through accidents, been through medical issues. And I found myself continually being more intrigued by what brought them to me than I was about healing them there. Interesting. Yeah. And when I would bring this stuff up to coworkers, because I'm very verbal and I, I always seem to need to analyze out loud. I'm not an internal analyzer. I like to talk out loud and sort mm-hmm. things through. Ask my husband, poor man. <laughs> I was going to say, me too. Yes. Guilty. So, <laughs> you know, I'm always checking in, if you will. So I was checking in with my coworkers there, and I continually would bring up what brought our, our patients to us. And when I continued to see that, number one, they didn't care, or number two, it was, ooh, gross, how could you think about that? I realized okay, so I'm just on the wrong end of this. Right. And it, and I went back into my high school thoughts on that's what I originally had thought in the first place. Okay, so uh, you in high school, you have this idea that comes to you about being a paramedic. Mm-hmm. How, do, how do the people around you react to that? I mean, I, I can imagine having a teenager come home and be like, I'm going to be a paramedic and, you know, be on the scene of... Right. You know, yes. right at the root of injury. What was the reaction? Well, as you can imagine, it wasn't positive. Uh, and and it was to a point where I was absolutely stared in a different direction. Um, words and phrases came out like, so I'm a petite person. And uh, it was very much discouraged that I would never be strong enough to be a paramedic. Uh, other phrases came out about my passion, saying, but you, you know, you lead with your heart on your sleeve. How can you do a job like this? Um, and, and to be honest, and so if I may, I'm obviously uh, aging myself by saying this, but I graduated <laughs> high school in 1994. Okay. And phrases like you're a female came out. Uh, and all of those things at a very tender age of 17, 18, I took to heart because what was I supposed to know? I was just a child. Uh, And I think that we need to listen to our inner child a little bit more. Now having children and and looking at them, um, children know a lot more than we give them credit for. But at that time, you know, it, it it wasn't a negative thing because 
going back to school as a mature adult and becoming a paramedic later in life was perfect. Mm. And I don't regret a single moment I spent at university. I don't regret any of the growing immaturity. I think those things are what is going to allow me to be the paramedic that I'm proud to be. Was there a part of you at the time when you're, I'm assuming in your 20s and you're working kinesiology and you realize mm. I should have, what I should have actually Absolutely. done? Is there a part of you that's kind of regretting, like I could have spent, you know, all these years working in the thing that you eventually realized you loved? Well, only when it comes time for retirement and pension, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very good answer. Yes. Um, but no, so I lead a life with no regret and I think that that's a really important point for people to understand is I, I became a paramedic at 30, 30. That's okay. I don't look at all of my hours and time spent in my twenties as time lost at all. That's, that's uh, irrelevant to it. It's my life. And, and these are the hours I've been given. So at the time in a job that I found very frustrating, yes, I had dark days where I thought, what am I doing? But those dark days pushed me to follow my path and to, to get the new career that I'm, I'm now in. So I can't regret or wish those days away. Um, but at the time, absolutely. Oh, yeah, I, I thought many, many days. Um, to be honest, I felt I felt like a cage bird. When I would drive to my job and I'd park my car, I'd kind of sit there for a few extra minutes and think, okay, okay, let's go. We can do this. One more day. Come on. Uh, I've, you know, my darkest days at work, I never think that now. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I think that's such an important message too, because, and honestly, part of the podcast, the point I'm trying to make, I think, because, you know, every podcast has a thesis is mm -hmm. that our path is going to want, like specifically with career too, like it winds and jogs and I say it zigs and zags, but mm -hmm. that's okay. I think a lot of kids have this idea that, you know, when they're 14 and someone asks them what they're going to be when they grow up, they have to have an answer. And that has to be what happens. That's right. That it has to be a static thing. Or that you have to know. That's right. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, tell me about the decision when you finally, so, you know, you're talking yourself into work every day. What pushes it over the edge? Like what finally pushes you to make this decision to go back to school in your mm -hmm. late 20s? I was walking to my job and I saw an ambulance uh, parked on the side of the road and there was two medics standing beside it. And I just felt such a pull. Um, I walked over to them and I introduced myself and I said, um, you know, hi, my name is Sarah. Um, can I talk to you for a couple minutes? And, and they looked at me a little startled at first. And I just said, you know, um, I've always wanted to be in this career. Can I talk to you? And thankfully they were so open because obviously they too loved their job uh, and then what's terrific was that once they realized I was in the healthcare field, I was a mature adult, you know, all of those things, uh, I actually went out for two rideouts with them. Really? Um, not as a paramedic at the time. They don't do that much anymore. Uh, but back then, again, it's a little while ago. Um, so I actually went out for two rideouts and I came home a different person and I just said, that's it. I know what I need to do. Um, still unsure because it was a big thing. It was a big undertaking to, to go back to school as an adult. I was actually driving to the gym and a man and his dog got hit by a car right in front of me. I jumped out of my car 
And I went over and I started to be that person and assess and other people were kind of looking afraid. And I realized I wasn't afraid. And I just thought, whatever it takes, I need to do this. And I went back and and saw the man a few days later. And uh, he just gave me a huge hug. And he just said, what absolute support and comfort that this complete stranger had offered him in this time of need. And I just knew I came home and I just said, that's it. It's done. I have to do it. And, and I did it. Uh, it wasn't easy. Uh, and I, and I moved away and I, I went up, uh, and I did college and I, I struggled through and it was the best struggle of my life. You come around to a second time. Yes. Saying you want to be a paramedic. Is the reaction from people, you know, different or is it the same? It's the same. It's the same, but I'm different. So I do it anyways. Um, I'm not going to say I didn't have support because, you know, my family has always been supportive. I've always been kind of the loose cannon in the family. Um, as a child, uh, I just, I remember very clearly in grade six, I ran away uh, because I wanted an adventure. So I stuffed uh, a couple pairs of socks and pan- pajamas in an IGA bag and I got as far as the park and realized I had no clue and came home. Uh, I spent a summer sleeping in my backyard because I didn't want to come in the house. I wanted to be outside. Um, that summer I carried bricks around with me because my dad said I needed to be stronger to go on a canoe trip with him. So I've always kind of been that, that one in the family. So I don't think that they were surprised when I said, I'm, I'm cashing it all in. Here I go. They were scared for me. And I think that that's different from not being supportive. And I understand that now at the time, maybe I didn't as much. Um, but absolutely the questions came around of how would I do this financially? What does this look like? Do you know that, you know, you have a career right now, you have a job. Why are you doing this? When you don't understand something, you have a lot more negative questions. And that's where I found that, that it was coming from was just the negative questions I think came from the ignorance to my passion. But as, a, as the adult that was doing it, I didn't listen this time. And I went to the gym and I got strong and I went to college and I got amazing grades and I took my provincial exam and I passed and I went to a hundred interviews before finally getting a job. And all of those steps is allowing me to, to be competitive and, and be uh, passionate in my career. It wasn't a straight road for me at all, but how wonderful, how beautiful to come out of it at the end. And now, now they see that that's where I should be. Well, you know what? I think it's so brave and it's something that people often don't do. Absolutely. Often people will, because they're comfortable, because everyone supports them in what they're doing, they stay doing the thing that is like slowly killing them inside Mm -hmm. and they don't have the, either the foresight or the ability. I mean, often people are in a job and they, they don't have a house to sell and they don't, you know, they don't have an opportunity to make a big change. Good on you because it's a brave thing to do to say, I'm going to, you know, leave all this behind what Mm -hmm. I was building and start from scratch. Thank you, um, because it was brave, and I don't take that lightly. And it's certainly not a vanity thing, but uh, yeah, it it isn't something that everybody would do. Uh, and I was very proud of myself for walking away. Walking away is a very difficult thing to do, um, but I just knew that this was right, and um, thankfully I did. Because when I look back at the rehab too, 
it's the exact same thing as my job. People are not there if they've had a great day. They, they deserved my coworkers in those moments. They didn't deserve me. And, and now I, I'm at a place I get to hear all the time from people and we get cards saying thank you. And, you know, it's, it's a reward in itself to be at the job. But then when I get to see the difference I make, um, yeah, affirmation all the time. Okay, so let's talk about the job. What do you do all day? What's the a day in the life of a paramedic? Ooh-wee. I love that question because there's no terrific answer, uh, which again is the part that attracted me to the job, uh, the uncertainty of it. But, you know, you spend your first portion of the day uh, checking your truck. That's, that's important. I mean, you need to have all of your your bags and all your tools. So we, we take the time at the beginning to ensure we have everything we need. Uh, and then you wait. And, uh, when I was brand new, uh, that was a very, very stressful time. Um, and then, you know, you'd be talking to your coworker, but half of your brain is listening for the chimes to go and, uh, the chimes go and you jump in the truck and you, you don't know what you're going to do. Dispatch tells you, you know, there's a, a, an elderly female complaining of shortness of breath. And you think to yourself, okay, I got it. And when you arrive, you have no idea what you're about to walk into. And you are constantly having to uh, mold yourself and change yourself into the environment. Even something as simple as it's, a, it's an elderly female shortness of breath, but is she in an apartment building with no elevator? Is she in a basement apartment? Uh, is she, you know, in a nursing home? Like there's so many different avenues and each call, although, as I said, you know, one of the most common calls is shortness of breath. Um, no call is, is the same. And when you're new, that, that is a very stressful time. But never mind the stress of the call. You had to get to the call. And the driving is, is a huge component of the job going through red lights, uh, going faster than normal speed limits, continually checking your environment. Is there someone coming out of a driveway? Did that person not see my lights on? Is that person going to pull over? There's so much to even get to the call. And then never mind the driving, there's the radio. You have to talk to dispatch and find out where you're going and get the right cues on what you're doing. There's so many layers of it. How exciting. My shift is 12 hours, 7 to 19. So 19 is 7 at, and the p.m. But if a call comes in at 6.30, I don't get to tell that nice man to have a heart attack later. So overtime is a huge aspect of the job, uh, which is something that you need to get used to, which your spouse and your family needs to get used to. There's, there's no certainty at all when your shift is over. And that man at 6.30 that's having the heart attack deserves all the treatment and care that the female at 11 in the morning did. So it's, you're giving a lot. You're constantly, constantly giving little pieces of you to uh, each, each call that you go to and each patient that you come in contact with. Which are the calls that stay with you? And not, you don't necessarily have to give me specific examples because mm. I don't shift relive things that you don't really relive, okay. but what are the kind of calls that you come home still thinking about? <laughs> the ones that you don't expect. The ones that you don't expect at all. Uh, and, and just for confidential, confidentiality of patients, obviously, I, I won't go into details. Uh, but it's, it's usually not the ones that 
that you expect because you're prepared for that. I knew going into this job that I was going to see things that perhaps would upset me or that perhaps the the normal eye should not view. However, the calls that I can think of right now aren't even serious ones, right? Aren't even ones that maybe should be the ones that affect you. Uh, but there's just something about it. Um, I remember very specifically a coworker saying one of their most difficult calls was because of the dog on scene and they had just put their dog down. And when they went to this call, the dog on scene was just like their old dog. And it was kind of a nothing call, but it was enough of a call in conjunction with this dog that that still bothers them. Even though the person was elderly, it was okay you know, everything was okay with what was happening. The family was okay with what was happening. The medic had a really hard time with that call afterwards. Mm. Um, So I think that's kind of an interesting point is that sometimes it's just what, what is the layered with the call, not just the one example. On the flip side of that, Mm -hmm. what's a really good day? Like what are the days you come home and you're like, just flying? (laughs) Well, let, let's, uh, for everyone listening, let's just bear in mind that I am a paramedic. So what I'm about to say is not disrespectful <laughs> to any of you out there, but I got into this career for a reason. So a really great day is a day that I go from call to call to call and they're dynamic. When I use that word dynamic, I love the dynamic calls. I love the calls where we get on scene and it's not what we thought and we quickly have to change our, our pace of action. And then we think it's it's maybe a diabetic call and it quickly turns in that it's actually an anaphylactic call. So now I need a different drug. I need a different needle. Um, maybe I need the police to get on scene real quick because something is turning the wrong way. Uh, you know, all of the things that make people's hearts beat, it makes my heart beat too. And that's why I'm in this job. Mm. A terrific day is when all of those calls go back to back to back to back and I get off on time. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's talk about, and maybe I'm wrong. Tell me if I'm wrong. Yeah. But I assume that most of your colleagues are male. Is that a fair assumption? It used to be. Used to be? It's changed. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so maybe tell me, what's that journey like from, you know, going into being a paramedic as a female and how it's changed over time? Yeah, I, I had some uphill battles when I started. Um, and if I, if I may be as blunt, <clears throat> there's a specific example that comes to mind. I hadn't been on my job more than about a week and I had had two shifts that went very well, uh, with two different partners. And then I was asked to come into my boss's office and he said that there was concerns about my lifting ability. And I was surprised because everything had gone really well. And I said, if I may ask you know, who, who brought these concerns to your attention? And when he told me I was heartbroken because I hadn't yet even worked with that person and the style of person that I am and the type of person that I am, I went to that person flat out. And I thought if they have the courage to say it when I'm not standing there, surely they have the courage to say it when I am standing there. Um, and so I went to this person and I asked them straight out about their concerns. And they just said that they had seen me in the hallway and, uh, questioned my ability and And just assumed looking at your frame that you weren't going to be able to lift and that was very hurtful uh again because of the windy road that i had been on to get there 
I guess I was under the assumption that I had arrived and that I had, I had beaten the odds and here I was just to realize that I had opened another can of uh, negativity towards me. So my boss, I mean, obviously he needs to be very uh, diplomatic about the whole thing. So he rode out with me on my next shift as my partner and halfway through the day laughed and shook my hand and said, no problems here. So again, you know, can I be angry at that person? Can I make it into a a thing, make a mountain out of a molehill? Absolutely. I could have, but yet again, I had proven myself and, uh, and had, you know, shown that I was able to be there. Fast forward the 13 years I've been there now, I've worked with that other coworker many, many times, and uh, they have apologized uh, and said that they, they feel so ashamed with, with their assumption that they had made that day. Hmm. Um, now, there's a lot more females in the field. Um, and there's even, you know, at the time that I came on board, there was more females than there was even 10 years prior to that too. So um, I think with any job, with any career, um, it evolves. And, you know, looking back over time, there's many, many jobs that uh, have evolved with with females coming into play. Um, But with any job, whether you're female or male, uh, you have to have the requirements. And if you can't lift or if you can't drive or if you can't problem solve in stress, this is not the job for you. And I don't think that the gender has much to do with that as just your skill set. But I also think that today's day has allowed me to say that sentence confidently. Right. Whereas before, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess I can, I can see that feeling where you think, you know, oh, I've, I've finally figured it out. I'm finally here. Right. And then you realize that there's an extra layer because you are a woman that you have to, pr- you have some extra proving to do, right? You, I did. I did. And I, and talking to some of my very close male coworkers, um, I've said to them, you know what, guys? When they try to say things like, oh, come on, that's not true or whatever. And I said, well, when was the last time you were a female paramedic? And they just kind of laugh. And um, and I am of a petite stature uh, when it comes to that. However, that has also allowed me to fit into many places. Um, and I can think of two calls right off the top of my head right now that very recently that I was able to uh, fit into very small spaces and uh, be very productive in those small spaces. Um, and I think that we all have a role to play. Um, and I don't, I, I get kind of tired of showing up at a call and I'm there to help someone. And they say to me, oh, well, there's no way you can lift me down the stairs. And it used to bother me a lot. Uh, and it doesn't much anymore because again, once you've proven that you can do it, you can do it. But I just wonder to myself, why do they feel that that's appropriate? Why are they able to say I'm too small to do this job when I'm clearly standing right in front of them in the uniform, ready to carry them down the stairs? Absolutely. Well, good for you. You're, I don't know. I just think you're such a great example for any women out there who are looking to be a first responder or a paramedic because you. you don't let it, I mean, I'm sure it's bothered you in the moment, but to just, you know, be confident enough in yourself to know that you're here for the right reason that, you know, you can That's handle right. the job, right? Well, and normally after I have carried them down the stairs, uh, it's pretty fun when they say, Ooh, okay. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, you know, and, and one of my partners, I've been partners with him for a very, very long time. And, um, you know, on day shift, he and I will do a workout together. And uh, I normally kill him through the workout and, and he's dead at the end and it's pretty fun. Uh, and then we'll go to a call and a person will say that and now he speaks up for me and he'll even say to them, ooh, you don't know what you just said. You just underestimated. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, I always say that it's it's my hidden talent, right? It's my my uh, my uh, Superman cape underneath my costume here. Let's talk about another talent, which mm. is um, not only are you a paramedic, but you also then somehow have come to a side gig where you're also teaching people CPR. That's correct. Yes. Um, and I can say my, actually me and my husband and my, my whole family came to your CPR class and man, we just came away with so much. Perfect. Um, tell me how, why, why, you know, have this demanding job, um, that you're working shift work, you're working overtime and still fit in, you know, a way to teach people, uh, how to, how to handle an emergency with another person. I have had that on my mind for years. I knew I needed to get out into the public and, and get people's confidence up and get people fired up about helping. As I mentioned earlier, I am not the one that calls 911. Someone in society, and I always say this, and you know from my class, is in the right place at the right time to call 911. But let's then give them the skill set and the confidence to do something about it. Uh, you know, it's it's about a seven to 11 minutes sometimes, right? A response time for us to get to you uh, being in a larger area. If we're right in town, we can be up, you know, quick as four minutes. But four minutes is a really, really long time when, when you have dialed 911 uh, and when you are in a stressful situation. And what I was finding was the more I went to calls and saw the, I call you everyday heroes is what I call you. Uh, and you know that from my course as well, but I would see these everyday heroes that have called 911 and that were trying to do life-saving measures prior to our arrival. And I just started thinking, you know, I could, I could reach them. I could talk to them. I could teach them. Uh, and it's very important to note that as a paramedic, I am not certified to teach. I then had to go and take a course oh my gosh. and uh, become a certified instructor. So once I did that, though, and I, after my very first course, I just thought, I, okay, I have enough room in my, my brain and my heart to, to have this. And I think it's really important. And it came back to the same thing of, I can, so I must. And one of the things I always mention in my class and, and to anyone that asks me is it's a relay race. Probably I use that example because of my years of track uh, competition, but it's very true. And I look at it as a relay race and I look at you guys, Everyday Heroes, as the first runner. You're the one that was there that saw there was a need and you dialed 911. Where the paramedics that are coming, we're only the second runner. And I cannot do my job without you guys first doing yours. And when I arrive and I do my life-saving measures or whatever is required, and I get them to the hospital, the nurses and the, the ER doctors are the third runner of the relay race. And they do what they need to do. And then the fourth runner is either, you know, ICU or uh, specialized surgeons or, you know, whatever else needs to happen. But do you see that each runner is so important to give that person their best chance? So when I looked at it like that, 
I knew that there was really no choice. I had to teach. And I've been teaching for years now. Uh, and I love when I hear from you guys that y- you got it, right? I got my message out there. And at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Okay, so let's talk about, I mean, we've been through your career. We've <laughs> talked about, you know, all the extra layers of things that you've added on. Looking back at, at your journey and the zigzag and the windy road, what's what's your best advice for someone who is either trying to figure out what they want to be when they grow up or they're not, they're like where you were in kinesiology where they're not happy with what they're doing and, and they just need some advice. What's, what's your, your nugget of wisdom? I think, I think the one point that I would really like someone to just take hold of today is don't be afraid to change and never call it a mistake. Being where you are at that point in your life, you will learn something that will then allow you to succeed in your next step. Never look at change as a mistake. Look at change as an amazing opportunity in your life and don't be afraid of it. Ah, that's such good advice because I think it's so easy to get stuck. Definitely. To get stuck where you think you can't, you can't make a difference and you can't make a change in what you're doing. Mm-hmm. When you go to work, and you wake up and, you know, you talk about being excited to go in and you obviously love your job. I think that's like crystal clear. What's, what's the contribution that you're hoping that you're making when you come home from work? You know, what's, what stays in your heart is the thing that, you know, oh, this is why I do this. You don't even have to show it when you have the passion for what you do. As you said, it's crystal clear. Uh, and, and I think that that is the contribution that I'm making is that I can and so I shall. And when people are in their moments in their life, I am very proud when it's me that shows up on the scene. And there's been a few uh, calls that I can think on that I say to myself afterwards, I am really glad that was me. And again, not a vanity thing. It's, it's, a, it's a very much an affirmation thing that I know that I am giving back into this job because this job has given me so much. Um, and you know, one day I, I remember very specifically, I was washing the truck. We wash the truck at the end of every shift and I'm scrubbing the truck. Is it glorious work? No. Uh, is it required? Yes. So I'm washing the truck and my coworker was like, Oh, I can't believe I got to wash this truck. And I just looked over at him and I laughed and I said, not anybody off the street gets to wash this truck. And he hadn't, he just couldn't grasp what I was saying. And I said to him, you know how much it took for me to wash this truck? If I was just driving by and pulled up to this ambulance space, you're not going to let me in to wash this truck. I have to be wearing this uniform in this service and this job to wash this truck. And he laughed because he said, wow, you really believe that. And I said, you bet I do. And he kind of laughed. And quite a while later, he came up to me and he said, you know, I've been thinking about your washing the truck conversation we had. Thanks for that. That was just what I needed that day. My contribution is that if I can allow another person to find passion again in in this very stressful, hard job, uh, then that refills me as well. Well, I think that that's a really great, we started with positivity. We'll end with positivity. Mm -hmm. I started by asking you, how do you do this? And I'll end by saying, thank you for your service. Thank you very much. 
Grown Up is created, recorded, and edited by me, Avery Moore-Kloss, and my company, Folktale Studio. Portions of this episode were recorded at one of my happy places, the Switch Podcast Studio at Wilfrid Laurier University in downtown Brantford, Ontario, where actually I'm currently podcaster in residence. To keep up to date on what's coming next, follow us on Instagram or Twitter at GrownUpPod or my own accounts at Avery Moore Kloss. It's like floss with a K. I'd love to hear your questions for upcoming guests, or if you have an idea of someone that we should interview for the podcast, please drop me a name or even a profession, and I'll see what I can do. Thanks for listening.